Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 9, going all the way through chapter 8, verse 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more, and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I think that there are two types of people in this world. There are those people that prefer noise... And then there are the people who prefer quiet. You'll know the noise people. They're the ones that have to have music on in the car at all times. Or they want the TV on even when nobody's watching. They're the ones that want white noise while they sleep, have to have it. They're the ones that don't mind being at a loud restaurant where you have to shout to hear the person across from you These are the people who clap during church. Some people like life better with a little bit of noise. 
Now, I happen to be someone who prefers the quiet, which I'll admit is a bizarre quality in a youth pastor. (laughs) Quiet people love libraries and bookstores. Quiet people think there's no such thing as an awkward silence. Most quiet people have a word quota for the day and start to get a little cranky when it is reached. How many of you are quiet people in this room? Just a few of you, some kindred spirits. In college, I once drove home with a friend who happened to be another quiet person. We probably said about 15 words to each other over the course of a five-hour drive. We barely listened to any music. It was glorious. If you are someone who likes life just a little bit better with some noise, then the book of Revelation is a book for you. Because Revelation is by far the noisiest book in the Bible. You can hardly read more than a verse or two without someone blasting a trumpet in your ear. And it turns out that heaven is the loudest place of all. Angels yell, creatures chant, Trumpets peal, choruses swell. It's no wonder that we experience something of the divine when our choirs sing. Because it actually is a piece of heaven come down. But in Revelation, never does the stream of sound halt. Verse after verse, chapter after chapter, it rolls on. Until this particular moment. Until this point in chapter 8, where suddenly silence pierces the heavenly realm, and all speech and all song cease. Did you catch that in the text? There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Something, something stuns heaven into silence. But what is it? Did you catch that? What is it that silences heaven? We enter the vision. An angel comes to the front of the golden altar with a golden censer. How many of you have been to a Catholic mass or even an Episcopal service and seen the censer and the incense coming out? Many of us have. An angel comes to the front with it and this ever-widening column of smoke, of swirling smoke, rises in front of the throne. And we're told that this symbolizes the prayers of the saints. Prayer. Prayer has entered the throne room of God. Prayer ascends into the heart of heaven. Heaven is silenced by prayer. Now, who are these saints? We don't know exactly. We're not exactly sure. But it's likely that they are the persecuted Christians in Asia Minor. And if that is so, then this is something that we know about these saints. That these are people who think that their prayers are not being heard. Because they are facing so much trouble, so much persecution... Because for them, in their world, it's only Rome that is heard. They're citizens of the Roman Empire, and so everyone listens 
to Rome. Rome writes the laws. Rome issues the decrees. Rome sets the flow of history. Rome dictates the course of their lives. Rome is heard, not them. That's reality, say the little people, the tiny groups of Christians scattered around Asia Minor, insignificant people, immaterial to the mighty streams of imperial power. That's reality, right? No, says John, the writer of Revelation. That's not the whole story. Rome can thunder its way through the Mediterranean, but it won't silence heaven. It's not Rome that gets a hearing in the courts of the highest, but the prayers of the saints, the prayers of God's people. You are heard, John is saying. The angels are silenced. The choirs close their lips on account of you. All heaven waits for you. I think many of us can't imagine that we are important enough to be granted an audience with the creator of the universe. Something that I hear often as a pastor is this. God's got bigger things to worry about than my little problems. And what they're saying is this. What are my small needs and longings in comparison to the tremendous and overwhelming need faced by so many? Why would God pay any attention to me? This is what I call the crisis of significance. We feel too small and too insignificant to even register on God's radar. And so our prayer life falters. God seems more and more remote. The problem, however, with this type of thinking is that it assumes that God has a finite amount of attention and that God's attention is directed toward the largest and the most serious of human need. But such a God is a small God, a God of limited capacity, certainly not the God of Scripture and of Revelation in particular. Revelation stands in direct opposition to this mindset. It offers another vision, a response to the crisis of insignificance that so many of us feel. The passage is saying, God listens. Heaven falls silent for the prayers of God's people. And so every halting attempt to speak to this God, every groan, every murmur, all of it is heard. The wild hallelujahs, the recited, Our Father who art in heaven, the tearful, How long, O Lord, the exuberant, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Every cry of help, every heartfelt thank you, the dying amen of the faithful ones on their hospital beds, prayers repeated by the faithful, by us, week in and week out, they are heard. We are heard personally, attentively. God keeps the angels quiet for our prayers. That's reality. Heaven is silenced by prayer. But that's not all. We step inside the vision again. The angel takes 
this censer that's filled with the, the incense, which is the prayers of God's people, he fills it with fire from the altar and he hurls it over the walls of heaven. It plunges down to the earth and several things happen all at once. There are peals of thunder. There's voices. There's flashes of lightning. And there's an earthquake. Prayer has been to heaven, but then its shockwaves re-enter history. Not only is heaven silenced by prayer, but the earth shakes. According to this vision, prayer unleashes an incredible power in the world. Prayer shakes the very foundations of the earth. I've had a personal experience with the earth-shaking power of prayer. During one of the darkest seasons of my life, I was told by my campus pastor that he had been lifting up my name in prayer every day for the previous month. Every day. And not only that, he told me that, that several times while doing this, he believed that God put the word minister on his heart when he lifted up my name in prayer. Now at the time, that sounded like absolute crazy talk to me. At 19 years old, feeling so distant and remote from God. That was absolutely insane. But now, looking back from where I stand now, I truly believe that his prayers unleashed God's earth-shaking power in my life in ways that I can't even begin to describe. Now, of course, we don't know precisely how it all works. Prayer still is puzzling. It's not an automated process that's clear to everyone. We don't know the mechanics, but it's not our business to know. This is what we do know, that prayer gives us direct access to an environment where God is Lord, not the idols of our age, but where God is Lord, not Rome, not the stock market, God. Prayer is so often unpredictable in its outcome unaccountable, bafflingly mysterious, and we may wait years for any visible change. But we also dare to believe that prayer is more potent, more powerful than all of the hostile powers at loose in the world. But how do we know? How do we know that prayer silences heaven? How do we know that prayer shakes the earth? Sometimes we do see prayer achieve great things. But sometimes, sometimes, well, nothing seems to happen. The exam still goes badly. The innocent continue to suffer. The healing doesn't come. And so how can John be so certain that we are heard? How can he be so confident? Well, I think that there's a clue here in the text. Whom can we see through the crowds of heaven amid the angels and the four living creatures and the 24 elders and the white-robed martyrs? Who stands in the center of it all? It is none other than the wounded lamb, Jesus the Christ. 
How do we know that we are not battering in vain at the gates of heaven? This is how. Because the death of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, has snapped the power of everything that stands between us and God. It's opened the way. It has cleared the way for us. And so somehow, in a way that just about splits open our minds, somehow we believe that Jesus Christ is now even with us in this place as we worship, as we sing, as we pray. That Jesus Christ holds our prayer and that he sends it up to heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us straight into the heart of God. Who is listening? God is listening. God hears. Heaven falls silent when the prayers of God's people are offered. What an incredible image. Keep it in mind and heart this morning as we worship, as we offer up our prayers through word and through song, as we lift up those in our church family who need healing and grace. When we pray, heaven falls silent. And so our prayers are not empty words. They're not words without meaning or without power. Just the opposite, if we believe what we read in today's text. No, our prayers silence heaven, and our prayers shake the earth. What incredible power we have been given. What an amazing gift. And what an amazing grace it is that this is the God who we worship. Thanks be to God.